episode number 17. Today we're going to talk about robbery prevention in convenience stores and late night markets with an emphasis on cash handling. This is the Crime School Radio Show, where industry experts discuss the business of fighting crime and prevention strategies for making places safe. Leading today's discussion is security expert Chris McGoey. Welcome to Crime School. How do you prevent armed robberies in convenience stores? That's a very complex question. Fortunately, I don't have to solve all of that today. In today's episode of Ask Chris, a writer for Convenience Store Decisions magazine called and wants to know what cash handling has to do with armed robberies in convenience stores. So let's get the caller on the line and get right into answering some of those questions. I'm speaking to Pat Pape. Well, Chris, I appreciate you talking to me today about this because we're going to do a story for an upcoming issue on how to handle cash in the proper manner in convenience stores. So I thought maybe you could start off by telling me what the, the correlation is between the cash handling situation in the store and robbery in a store. Well, the cash is the target, isn't it? Robbers are going in to get cash. They might steal other things during the process of a robbery, but 99% of the time, they want the cash. So it's all about the perception of cash, and that's going to determine how often or how frequent you're a target. So there's an absolute correlation to your ability to control cash, and especially certain hours of the night to keep it as the levels as low as possible to get that word out on the street, if you will, that, you know, this particular store is not a good target. Go pick on someone else. Right. So what would you, what advice do you give to retailers when you're talking to them about what they need to do to best manage their cash and um, not put it out there where somebody can take it away from them? Well, there's different strategies for a, a small convenience store. And we're talking about something under 5,000 square feet. Uh, they usually run from 2,400 square feet, maybe up to 5,000 square feet. They're designed to be operated by a single individual if necessary. More and more convenience stores are tied to a gas facility, so they have a lot of traffic. They sell a lot of items that are, that are fast. Uh, the top items are things like cigarettes and, and snacks and, and beverages of different types, alcoholic and non-alcoholic. Uh, some stores have more grocery items uh, than others, and then more and more, many or most sell gasoline. So that's what brings the traffic in. So the cash aspect is, depending on the, on the chain and the location, will establish how many customers are paying with cash and how many are paying with credit cards or debit cards. So that's something that's knowable. Each store will know what is that percentage and what our daily amounts of cash are, because they're going to do, hopefully, a bank deposit every day. So the idea is with cash is to keep it as low as possible. And I'm talking about the available cash. You could have cash stored in a safe, for example, and then there's cash that's available to the manager. The most readily available is the cash registers. And these days, stores have usually at least two or more cash registers. Now, within these cash registers, 
When they start out for the shift, most, most operations start with a change fund. When they open a register, it starts with a set amount of cash, let's say $200, for example, in, in bills and change, and stores will vary. And then from there, as they conduct transactions, in comes more cash. And if you do nothing else, pretty soon that cash, that cash drawer will be overflowing with bills. And even today, I'm still amazed I can go into a, almost any store, uh, pay with a $20 bill, and I'll see the cashier lift up the tray and slip that $20 bill under the tray. I see that too, and it seems so, um, seems pretty scary. You know there's a lot of money in that, in that drawer. Well, knowing what I know, I mean, the years that I've spent in, in developing robbery prevention programs, specifically for the convenience store industry, it's a scary concept for me because that's exactly what many robbers do. They, they case the location or they check out the location in advance. And they want to get a look in the drawer, see how much money is available to me if I want to come back and rob. And that's one thing they'll do. They'll, uh, they'll come in and give you a 20 and see where it goes. Does it go in a safe? Is it dropped immediately? Or is it simply is that tray lifted up and under it goes? And guess what? When they lift, lift up that tray, you can kind of peek in there, can't you? And you can see other mm -hmm. bills in there. And I go to stores and, and see under that tray, there's hundreds of dollars there, plus what's in the rest of the drawer. And the way these guys think, they look around, they see two or maybe three other cash registers, and they're assuming that that, that, that condition exists in all the other registers. So all of a sudden, it's like cha-ching. You know, if I come back and do a robbery here, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to get $500,000 or more. That's what makes the store a target. So that kind of starts us off about uh, cash handling. Uh, one of my jobs at a former life was to develop these procedures for a very large uh, convenience store chain. And cash handling was uh, not only about robbery prevention, but it was also about theft. You had to be, uh, everyone had to be accountable for the cash. So at the same time, we were putting together procedures and policies for handling cash for employee theft purposes. Uh, we were also very heavily pushing cash handling for robbery prevention purposes. So here's kind of how it went. This is a, a common scenario. As you complete each transaction, each customer sale gives the store an opportunity to advertise and to demonstrate exactly what their cash handling procedures are. And that's the way I've always tabled it from back in the 70s. Every time you ring up the sale, you accept cash, you're sending a message. And a common message is, we don't take bills larger than a 20. Or another way of saying it, we don't want to give change on a sale that's going to require more than $20 in change. So therefore, we don't need to keep cash reserves as high in the drawers or, or, or hidden someplace else as, as backup if we have that policy. The other important policy is, again, on the transaction level, whether it's first thing in the morning or, or late at night, anytime someone gives you a large bill, like a 20, and if you have a policy of not accepting 50s or 100s, then there's no need for that $20 bill to even be in the drawer. So the policy... That does make it simpler. It does. So you want that $20 bill to be dropped immediately. And this is something I pushed, uh, again, since the 70s, that I believe had one of the biggest bangs on our robbery prevention success. 
while the customer is still present, and that's every customer, even the mom that's in the store or even the, uh, the student, that $20 bill automatically gets dropped in the safe. You do it in front of the customer, and they could see that if a 20 goes in, it goes right in the safe. And then you have backup, you have signage that says clerk cannot open safe, things like that. And then you complete the transaction, you make the change. Now, if you do that consistently throughout the store, all hours of the day, on every shift, and then with chain stores, if you have that same exact policy from, from store to store to store, the word gets out on the street and you train your customers. Now, customers, as you know, tend to be, convenience store customers tend to be loyal and tend to be frequent. And if they see the same policies and procedures for cash handling in every time they visit a certain store chain, you're training them. So they're not gonna come in with that $100 bill and expect you to break it, because that's what people do. If somebody wants to buy a $1 item and they give you 100, they just want that bill broken. <laughs> and they're using yeah, you as the bank. Now I know I fought all these battles for years that Convenience store retailers uh, hate to turn down a sale. They, they like to, you know, be there for the customer and provide convenience. But you really can't afford to be their bank. Because a very small percentage, actually a fraction of a percentage of your customers will pull that on you. Give you hundreds or give you fifties and expect you to make change. Everyone should know throughout the day that we're not a bank. We don't have the ability to make change. And all $20 bills get dropped in the safe immediately. So most convenience stores today start as you enter, enter the store. When you come in, we have decals on the doors, and we had these in place back in the 70s. Pay with the smallest bill possible. No bills larger than a 20. Some kind of reminder before they even come in and, and, and make that payment that we cash handling procedures in place for a reason. Then you follow through with reminding them and not breaking that policy, because if you start breaking it, the whole thing kind of goes down, down the drain. Uh, I'll tell you a quick horror story, war story even. Some stores that are, that are run, convenience stores, the owner is there during the day. And to make a little side cash, they run a check cashing business. Have you ever seen that? I know it's done. I don't know that I've ever seen it. Well, I've seen it many times. They have a check cashing business. So they, they, they literally want their customers to bring their paychecks in and they cash it. And the theory is that you know, we want you to be a loyal customer and to come more, and we want you to spend some of that cash I just gave you on things from my store. I mean, that's the theory. But the word gets out on the street that you're a check cashing business now. So what message are you sending? That you have cash, right? Right. You have loads of cash that are not tied to store operations or sales. So the word gets out on the street that here's a place that has cash. Now, some of these robbers are not the, the, you know, the smartest people in the world. If they see that you're cashing checks and you have a lot of cash, they might assume that you have cash at all times. When they finally get around to looking for a place to rob, even if it's two in the morning, they might say, well, I'm going to go to this convenience store that cashes checks, and they probably have lots of cash on hand. You advise your clients not to do a check cashing business? Absolutely. Don't ever, ever, never cash checks in the store as a practice. You're charging a fee or a percentage of the check cash for that, but it's just not ever a good practice because it sends the wrong message out and it exposes everyone in your operation. Right. 
The idea is to operate with the smallest amount of cash in the drawer as possible. Now we look at robbery statistics. Going back to the 70s, we started keeping, keeping track of these things. Robberies are mainly a nighttime event. Originally, when we started uh, robbery prevention back then, we thought that maybe we could operate as a two-store concept. Like these strict cash control policies really don't need to kick in until late at night. Maybe after 10 o'clock at night, for example, all of a sudden we'll start having stricter cash control. And I got to tell you, in my experience, that just doesn't work because the, the robbers uh, are usually from the neighborhood. Uh, they're in your store more times than just at night or late at night, and they might be casing you during the day or in the afternoon. So you need to demonstrate good cash handling practices at all hours of the day. Also, your employees that you hire, some of them might have loose lips and might communicate that, you know, hey, we keep a lot of money at this store. You know, there's a box under the counter where there's thousands of dollars in it. Or in the back room, there's a box with just rolls of quarters and, and all of this change is just lying around this place. This would be a perfect place to come and knock off some night. They might say that in jest, but someone else might pick it up and might act on it. So back to day-to-day -day cash handling. It's, it's very important to all staff to know when they start their shift and they get their drawer that they're being held accountable for what's in that change fund that they're issued. And they're going to be accountable for all of that change and cash being there at the end of their shift. And they're ac accountable for handling the cash correctly throughout the shift, including the things that contribute to robbery prevention. So how do you get to that? Well, you have to have high standards of training. And you have to put the time in to make sure that the individuals understand your policy, understand the practice, and then can demonstrate literally flawless cash handling. Well, I'm assuming you probably have to go back and reinforce that too after a while, because when you get busy in a store, it's really easy to forget the things you need to do to protect that cash. See, I absolutely do not buy that argument. I've you don't? Okay. Tell me why you don't. I've heard that argument thousands of times, uh, m many thousands of times. Well, we get busy, we can't do it. Baloney. It's absolute baloney. If they can't handle it when they're busy, then they haven't been trained properly. Or your cashier is not competent enough to handle cash handling during busy times. So you need to get a better cashier who's capable. You need to train them better, let them practice, show them shortcuts and and how to do it correctly. Good cashiers can handle cash at all times, the slowest times, the busiest times, and be completely accurate. So that's total baloney. To me, that's backing away from your, your established policies and procedures. You're lowering, lowering your standards, maybe on the cashiers who can't handle it or the busy times, and you're allowing variables to come in. Once you do that, you've lost control. Eventually, Throughout the store, you're going to reduce that standard, and before you know it, you're going to have bad cash handling throughout the day, every day. And then what's, you, the, what's the reason for cashiers then to have high standards if you don't require it anymore? But you do have to reinforce the training, don't you think? Oh, no you question. You train them when they come into the store and not remind them of the policies. No question about it, but I got to tell you from working with hundreds of thousands of, of cashiers, not all people are meant to be cashiers. Some people just can't do it. They can't handle it. They just don't have the, what, the men mental capacity, the dexterity, the 
whatever it is, they don't have the ability to, to, to handle cash. Now, I come from a generation where we had mechanical registers, and you actually had to make change in your head. <laughs> right. They don't do that anymore. They don't do it anymore. I mean, everything's automatic. Everything's scanned. So they've lost the ability to do math in their head. And if someone tries to give them a, an automatic change or an extra bill, it just screws them up completely. That's true. Been there. But, but there's training. So you have to get everyone on the same page for, for cash handling. Now, as it comes to robbery prevention, my biggest bugaboo was getting those 20s in the safe. There should be never, ever should I come into a store and find a $20 bill in the drawer because it just doesn't need to be there. So we get them into practice that you get the bill, you look at it, do whatever you have to do. You turn around, you drop it in the drop safe, and you let the customer see it. Now, this has been a controversial point. Some people disagree with me, but I will argue to you until I'm blue in the face that you need to drop that 20 in front of every customer as a matter of practice. Because one of those customers is going to turn out to be a robber or a friend of a robber. And they're going to know that the large bills are not, I'm not going to find them in the drawer when I come back because they go in this safe. Mm -hmm. So that's just all part of the routine. This is how you do it this way, this way, this way. Okay, the way we've been talking, we are sort of assuming that every store has a timed access cash control machine of some sort. We, we are, and most, most do or should kind of going with the you think they should immediately when they open the store for the first time they should have a, a cash controller i don't think you could really operate well without it from a safety standpoint from a robbery prevention standpoint and from an employee theft and, and cash accountability standpoint it's really a tool that you need to have it's as important as the cash register or we call them point of sale machines now pos machines or or any device that you use, it is just an important part of doing business, and it should be it should be mandatory. And then you train people around that device. When these uh, safes first came onto the scene back in the late 1970s, I pushed for having that cash controller visible. And what what I mean by that is, we if you go back and look at the history of all the robberies in the convenience stores, like 98 percent of them, the robber comes and stands right where the customer stands just like it's a transaction. That's where they're gonna show up. We know that. So I want this robber to be able to see in plain view this safe. That's always been my philosophy. And when these large bills are being dropped, I want the, the cashier to be able to just do a half turnaround, put the $20 bill in the safe in plain view of everyone, video cameras, the customers, everyone. And on that safe, there's signage, and that signage supports what the clerk is doing. The cashier cannot open the safe. Or it's a time-lapse or time-lock safe, like the Tidal products or some of the other cash controller products. So you're giving all the information to all your customers, including robbers, that this money, once it goes in that box, nobody can get to it. So for me to come back and expect that I'm going to force the late-night or graveyard cashier to open the safe, I'm already warned that that's not going to happen. And the hope was that the word would get out on the street, which it, which it did. When these things first hit the market and started being installed in convenience stores, the word absolutely got out on the street. And we even learned from uh, convicted robbers that, yeah, they're aware of it, that there's, a, there's safes now in town, and, and that's what these things do, and the cashier can't get in them. So it was working. So the next part of the equation is when you, when you start your shift, you get a change fund. 
whatever that amount is. Well, throughout the shift, you start taking in cash, don't you? Right. Every sale, someone gives you cash, and that amount of cash in the drawer is going to build up. So there has to be a procedure for stripping that cash out. So you want to keep a certain level in that drawer, depending on your volume and so forth. But the rest of it needs to be taken out and dropped in the safe. Now, this is, again, where I hear the story over and over. Well, I'm really busy. I didn't have time to do it. And I'll walk into the store, and there'll be $1,000 in the drawer. Well, that's scary for me because that type of practice, if left unchecked, will become the routine. The cash will not be stripped out of the drawer until you cannot put any more in there. And that's not the position you want to be in. So they have to be trained that that money needs to be taken out and dropped in the safe. And there's a whole procedure scenario that I designed way back when about how to do that, how to record it, and how to do it very efficiently. Now, there might be people reading this article or listening to this broadcast that will say that, well, it's very difficult in busy times to be able to do all that perfectly. I had a lot of resistance in the beginning when I tried to implement this at the time was a very radical procedure of taking the time to strip money out and, and, and that. But so I hired a team of individuals, and this was a company that were experts in like time and motion. They were connected to a university. And they would come in the stores, and they would sit there with stopwatches and clipboards, and they would take note of about 20 different variables during the common transaction. You know, what were the steps? How many movements between taking an item, you know, ringing it up, maybe putting it in the bag, making change, dropping money? What were all these steps? And how much time did it take? And the surprising thing, I already knew, but the surprising thing for uh, those that read the study later was that having good cash handling techniques and procedures that you've trained on actually makes it a very tight transaction. It actually happens very quickly and doesn't take any more time than, than anything else. And That's one, interesting. And once that occurred, then it was an easier sell that you, know, you could operate very efficiently. You can control your cash better. You can reduce your exposure to employee theft and drastically reduce your exposure to armed robbery. So it was like a win-win situation, so let's do it. So we undertook to put systems in place to, to make all that happen and control cash. Chris, let me ask what a retailer would do in a situation where they've got two, three, sometimes they even have four registers, I know, in really, really busy stores, the bigger stores. Um, what is the strategy for moving the cash from those various registers to the back room or even bringing cash up from the back room to the to the into the store floor what what do you recommend well that that's a really good question because any observers in the store i mean i see this all the time because i do this for a living but if you were paying attention like a robber a robber goes into a store with very specific ideas in mind he is seeing things and is interested in things that most customers could care less about so they're w watching very closely so if they see someone they perceive to be the owner or the manager carrying cash you know to and from the back room all of a sudden they go ah the back room is you know where the money is or there might be more money in the back room or if they see multiple cash registers let's say three they're going to assume that there's money in all of those registers and that again it just runs up the total they're seeing dollar signs in their eyes and i'm going to come in and make a really big score here when i work with with chains and with stores uh, i always talk to them about the, the totality of the cash. I think 
cash should be in a safe when it's not immediately needed. And I think the safe should be highly visible, as I already discussed. I was always strongly against having a safe in the back room. I got a lot of argument, a lot of debate over this over the years, and I, I still do today that people will argue, well, I don't want to have the safe up front. If I have to come out to prepare a deposit, I have to open the safe and people are going to see me. You know, hey, guess what? Robbers know that they see money coming into the store. They know it's going somewhere. What are you hiding? I think it's far worse if they see you pretending to be, you know, moving between the front room and the back room, carrying bags or, or opening the safe and, and or opening the drawers, and then you go in the back room, the money disappears back there. Mm-hmm. Back there, it's private, and it's concealed. I want all this action out front and open, where it's visible from the parking lot. Anyone in the store could see the activity. So I want the safe up front. I want all the money to be in the safe. And the modern cash controllers now have the ability to drop large bills, like we already talked about. They have uh, Most of them are set on a time delay system, where even the owner can't open the safe immediately. And the word on that fact gets out on the street, too, very quickly. And if I want to come in and rob this store and get into that safe, the owner will open it for me. And that was the original design of, uh, of the tight L systems back in the 70s. You know, what do you set that timer for? How long is a robber going to wait? And I think initially we set it for 20 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. So if a robber comes in and holds a gun to the head of the manager and says, I want you to open that safe, I want the manager or the owner to be able to, to comply. You never want to tell a robber no. You want to say, yes, I'll open the safe for you. You go over there, you put the key in, you do the code, whatever your system is, you activate that time delay safe. The way we designed the initial controller, it even had a countdown clock on it that I really liked. So we set it for, I think, 20 minutes, and it would start clicking down in bright red LED lights saying 20 minutes, you know, 1959, 1958, 1957, before the safe pops open. Now, if a robber wants to wait 20 minutes, and the theory was they're not going to want to wait for 20 minutes. The average robbery happens within about a minute. 20 minutes is a lifetime in robber uh, terms. You let them decide. I mean, everything's all disclosed. Everything's right there in plain view in front of them. They could see that you're cooperating. You want to give them the money in the safe. All you got to do is wait 20 minutes. And it worked perfectly because we had very few robberies from the safe. We learned very quickly, and again, from talking to robbers, convicted robbers, they said, yeah, that 20 minutes is ridiculous. Well, I want to give you in and get out. So that process uh, worked very well. Now, the opposite of that is doing what we originally started talking about, is that you, you don't believe in that theory. You hide your safe. You don't want your customers or potential robbers to even know you have a safe. And I think that's flawed thinking, by the way. They know the money is going somewhere. And you want to secret it in the back room. You want to go back in the back room. You want to count it on the table. And you want to do all of these kind of things in the, in the back room. And I think that sets up the owner and the manager for higher exposure and greater risk of harm by making the robbery that would already be occur or normally occur at the front counter, it's now taken to the back room. So it's much more dangerous for the individuals. I believe so. And it creates a, a bigger scenario for employee theft if you're, you're transferring money uh, back and forth to the back room and there's you know, and that, that's where the, the check cashing business starts in the back room. You keep the cash there. Uh, it's just uh, so many different variables. 
So that kind of brings us to your, your question, or another question you raised is about bank deposits. Right. Safest way to manage that cash for a bank deposit. Well, the absolute safest way is to have a, a contract with an armored car carrier. And that's a company that's specially equipped and trained with a armored car and armed security officers that come and, and get access to your deposit and take it out. Now, there's all kinds of different variables. There's different services, and that's, that's kind of another show. Uh, whether the, uh, you let the bank uh, count up your deposit, make the deposit. I mean, there are systems where the money just gets dropped in the safe, period. And then when this company comes, they remove the contents of the safe. So you never have to touch it. You never have to count it. It gets taken to a secure location, and they essentially count all your cash and make the deposit for you. That's probably the safest way. But it comes at a cost. That's an added expense, and it's, it's not inexpensive, but it is the most safe. So if you imagine then the flow, based on what we already talked to, customers come in, they give you a $20 bill, you turn around and immediately gets dropped in the safe, that's gone. Nobody at the store level has access to it anymore. So to me, it takes the target off the back of the cashier, the manager, the owner, because we cannot get into this safe. It requires, some systems require two keys. When the armored car comes, the owner-manager uses provides one key, and the uh, armored car courier service has the other key. So you have all these people present. You have an armed person present. You have an armed guy in the truck, and uh, the cash gets transported that way. Now, the worst way, the old school way, and this is what I found when I got in this business, I don't know, 40 plus years ago, and what I still see today are the small business operators that make the bank deposits themselves. Now, there's all kinds of variables, as I said. They'll get the cash that comes throughout the day, they'll take it in the back room, and they'll create the, the bank deposit. And then they'll put that in some kind of a bag, anywhere from a bank bag to a plastic bag, or they'll try to disguise it some way, and then they take it to the bank. Now, I got to tell you, you and I could sit outside of a convenience store, almost any convenience store in America, and we'll be able to pick up when the owner leaves, probably with the bank bag in his pocket or in a bag. And you will see some owners that have a routine where they make their deposit at a certain time of the day, and you can almost set your watch by them. Or certainly if you follow them, you could follow them to the bank. And so you know what they're doing. So you're going to make a much better score if you can knock off the manager or the owner with a bank bag away from the store. Because once you get away from the store, you're also away from customers, other witnesses, video surveillance cameras, alarm systems. All of these other things are absent when you're between the store and the car or you're in your car or you're, or you're in the bank parking lot is when you're at most at risk. Now, the extreme foolishness, and unfortunately, I'll still see this today, I could take you out to many bank locations that still have night depository boxes. It's kind of like a mailbox. It's usually over on the side of the building near the ATM machines where merchants could go after hours. You have a key. You open this little mailbox drawer, and you dump your bank deposit bag in there. You and I can go out to a bank tonight and sit there and just watch at a distance, watch that bank depository, and I guarantee you we will see somebody approach with a bank deposit. Now, depending where it's located, you might see a lot of traffic or some you might see almost no traffic. 
But guess what the robbers do? I mean, they do just that, is they wait and see who is doing it. Now, the stores that do it, back in the day, the convenience stores, that's what the, the manager would do, is take deposits. Now, the bad managers wouldn't do a deposit every day. They might do a deposit for the weekend. So they might have three days' worth of cash in that bag, and they go to the bank and, and use that night drop. The really foolish ones will do it at night. So that's, that, that's a real uh, scary tactic. So that's highly, that's something I, I absolutely do not recommend. It's completely reckless, uh, but there are still companies out there today that are, that are doing that procedure. Well, let me ask you if there are some other robbery prevention techniques you'd recommend that could be combined with a good cash handling. Well, there are many things. I, I could probably rattle on for a half an hour here. There are many things. Uh, you always want your preventive measures to be multi-layered. You don't want to have just one thing because uh, robbers, as we already talked about, are not the smartest people. Otherwise, they'd have real jobs, right? I would think. Uh, more than uh, evidence uh, has told us that they're probably under the influence of alcohol or drugs or both. Their mental capacity is definitely uh, diminished. They're also desperate. For someone to commit robbery, uh, it's a very desperate act. So they have immediate need. Quite often it's tied to drugs. I mean, they're, they need a fix so badly that they're, they're desperate. It could be for other things, to pay rent or some immediate need, food, housing. But they're, they're desperate. So it can't always just be about cash handling because some of these guys don't have a clue. I mean, they might just pull off a freeway. They'll see a sign for a convenience store. They've never been in that store before. They don't know what their cash handling procedures are. They don't know if they have a little cash or a lot of cash. They don't care. They're just going to come in and rob it if they can. So you need to give them, before they come in and make that commitment, you need to give them all the signals and all the signs that you can. So the traditional ways are to have a well-lighted convenience store inside and out. You want to have balanced lighting. So you can very clearly see from the outside parking lot inside. And conversely, you want the clerk, the cashier, you want to be able to see very clearly from the inside outside. If your lighting is not balanced, it's going to be like a mirror one way or the other. You're not going to be able to see very well. You want to have the counter uncluttered. Sometimes you go into a store, there's so much junk on the register, you can hardly set your stuff down. You can hardly make a transaction. There's so much crap on the register, around the register on the counter. That really needs to be uncluttered. You want the robbers and your customers to get a, you know unrestricted uh, view. And when that drawer opens, you want the, the customers and potential robbers to see that there's virtually no money inside should just be a, a few bills and, and, and a small amount of bills. You should have had signage on the door already saying that we keep you know, the least amount of money on hand. We don't accept bills. The clerk cannot open the safe. This store under video surveillance. There's lots of different signs. And robbers, especially the one, you know, if they're not too stoned, uh, they read that stuff. You and I might not read it, or the average customer is not going to pay any attention to it, but someone who is intent on robbing a location, looks at all that stuff. And when they come inside, they're going to look for video surveillance cameras. If you have well-placed, highly visible, I'm putting air quotes around highly visible, mm -hmm. video surveillance cameras. Some stores have been arguing with me about, well, they don't want customers to see their video cameras. They'll think it's dangerous here. So they'll get these covert ones. So they'll, they'll make them so you can't see them. 
Well, you're wasting your money then, in my opinion. Those video cameras need to be upfront. They need to be visible for them to apply a deterrent effect that you want. You want them to be visible. So before the robber comes in and commits himself, or I guess I have to say herself, you want them to see that you're on stage here. It's lit up like a ballpark. Any potential witnesses are going to see you coming or going. Got video cameras everywhere. They've captured your image even before you entered the store. Now that you're here, I have your image. It's going to be on America's Most Wanted Tonight, or it's going to be on the news. So you want to give them the opportunity to say, well, this is not the best location for me to rob. And then typically they'll come up and buy something small to get that drawer open. Again, before they commit themselves, you want them to be able to look in the drawer and see that it's virtually empty. And you want them to see that safe that's very prominent and that they're not going to get access to the safe. If you have other registers late at night, if they're not in, not in use, I want the drawers to those registers standing open. I want the little till insert kind of lifted out and kind of tilted up so you can clearly see that these other POS machines or cash registers are empty. So now you're sending the message, all of these messages that if you want to go through with this, your score is not going to be very well for the, for the risk. Now, all of those things will work on a good percentage of robbers. They'll, they'll simply turn around and find a better target. Others, it might make no difference at all because, frankly, they don't even know what planet they're on. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, let me ask you a question, and, and this I'll kind of sum it up here. Is there anything that I didn't think to ask you that I need to know for my article in Sea Store Decisions Magazine? If you think of anything that I should have asked you, why don't you tell me about it right now? Well, there's a, unfortunately, there's, there's a thousand things. You're asking a technical ep expert, so I have uh, I know more details that would almost bore your readers about all the little underlying things and the the psychology behind things and the the reasons why we do certain things in a certain way have a lot of overlapping and effect on the operation of the uh, of the business. But as far as cash handling, it, it really comes down to to hiring the right people. You have to hire people that are capable of handling cash properly. And these people have to be capable of understanding the policy and executing the policy perfectly. You have to be willing to not employ someone who's not capable of doing that. Because guess what? Every This is another show, but every or any employee thief I've had to interview took advantage of lax cash handling policies. And a manager who really didn't care, who wasn't very strict, that really didn't hold them accountable. So it's all about accountability. All these little procedures that I rattled off, they might seem like a lot of little things like dropping money and refusing hundreds and fifties and doing all these things. They're all important. They take no more time to execute than being sloppy. And your accountability goes up. It's just a win-win situation. So you need to take the time that it takes to hire the best person for the job. You need to take the time that it takes to train them fully and completely. You need to take the time to supervise them closely to see if they've understood the training. Are they demonstrating it? Not just once, twice, but every day on every shift. And even when you rotate them to a different shift, a busier shift, they're following everything exactly the same. Once you get all of that going with all your employees on every shift to start running like a machine, your operation will become, become more efficient. Your cash losses will 
be reduced, almost be non-existent, and your exposure to, to armed robbery is at its lowest level. So there's no reason not to be doing these things. Thank you so much for sharing this information, and um, I want you to look forward to that article in the magazine. I look forward to seeing it. Send me a link to it. I'll look forward to reading I it. I will, because it will be online. Perfect. Thank you, Pat. Have a good day. Thank you, Chris. Bye-bye. Uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I try to present a variety of educational topics, but keeping with the theme of making places safe for people and property. The subject matter of Crime School is influenced by your feedback, so I encourage you to tell me about your ideas for future discussion. I'm always looking for a guest. If you have a particular crime or loss prevention expertise, you have a special legal background about liability, you have an interesting crime prevention product to review, or if you're a crime victim with a motivating story and outcome to share, I want to talk to you. Now, I'm not very active on social media. I'm old. What could I say? I don't quite get it, but I'm trying to learn. Meanwhile, I appreciate those who are active in social media to share these episodes to attract others who may want to learn and benefit from this content. In fact, if you have an iTunes account and you want to help others find Crime School, please leave us a five-star rating and review. That will really help us be discovered. I invite you to join the Crime School community. We're all like-minded people. You could provide your email address on any web page, any opt-in form on the Crime School website. In this way, you'll receive immediate notification of any new audio or video episodes published, or any special events for that matter. Thank you for participating in Crime School and for doing your part in making places safe. This is the Crime School Radio Show with your host, Chris McGoey. We invite you to comment on today's topic and join the Crime School community. For more information and show notes from this episode, please visit crimeschool.com.